Now turn in your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses there. This past week I was listening to a message by one of my spiritual heroes, a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, Mr. Ravenhill has gone home to be with the Lord. I had the privilege of meeting him several times. And uh, I, I never met him until he was in his 70s. But he was a very, he was like an old-time prophet. He was from England. He, he, uh, he just told you what he thought and what he felt. And I was listening to him preach. And, and he made a statement that shocked me. And I guess the reason it shocked me was that he said this about 35 years ago. And what shocked me was the thought that if it was true then, it is certainly more true now. And this is the statement he made. He said, it seems like in the church today, we are more afraid of holiness than we are of sin. And that statement just really struck me because if that was true then, let me tell you, it is certainly true today. We seem to be more afraid of holiness than sin. And so when someone holds up a standard of walking with God of purity, boy, the pushback is immediate. You, you're being legalistic. You're putting us in bondage. I, I was reading the, a promotional material for a church that's in my area, and the whole thrust of the thing was, we're not like those other churches that throw guilt on you and things like that. And, and he, he kind of built this straw man of, of what those other churches look like. And I thought to myself, I don't really know a church like that. But the point is, the idea that God's call to walk in obedience to Him is somehow bondage instead of freeing. Because for freedom, He's set us free. God wants us to be free. So what I want to take a moment this morning and do is, is talk to you about one aspect of what we'll call sanctification. Now, remember, there are three, generally speaking, there are three main categories in the Christian life. It begins with justification. That is when you receive Christ, when you are cleansed by the blood of Christ. And, and then secondly, there is sanctification. That is the process by which God makes you holy, makes you into the image of Christ, and then ultimately glorification. Uh, that is when we get new bodies and we got, we're made like Him and, and uh, experience the glories of eternity in heaven. And what's interesting is we focus a lot on justification, rightly so, because salvation is a glorious and beautiful thing, and we write books about it and talk about the theology of it, and, and we talk about heaven and glorification, but it seems like often we forget that sanctification is the primary experience of the Christian life. From the moment you got saved to the moment you will be glorified in Christ— the whole process, every second of your Christian life, is the process of sanctification. God is making you like Jesus. Now, here's the problem. You may have heard this term. It's kind of big in the business world. The idea of what's called a silo effect. And, and the idea of a silo effect is, you know, when I was a kid, there was an abandoned dairy farm not far from where we lived. And we would ride our bikes over there and just kind of mess around in the old barns, and there was this giant stone silo there. And we would, there was an entrance, and we would crawl into there and get in the middle of this silo. And if you stand in a silo, it was about 12 to 15 feet across. There's really no view. All you see is stones and, unless you look up. And then there was one view looking up. And, and what happens is when you put a bunch of people in a silo, all they have is one perspective because they all see the same thing and one view. 
And so they don't get the bigger picture, the bigger understanding of what's outside of there. That's called the silo effect because when you're in a silo, you don't tend to communicate outside. You just see things from one perspective. The problem is in the Christian life today, there is this push to live the Christian life in a silo. And so what happens is you'll have people who will say, well, you know, my faith, it's between me and God. Nobody else should be involved. It's, it's nobody else's business but my own. And we're in a, a country that pushes individualism and those kinds of things. And so we kind of think to ourselves, well, it's nobody's business. But let me just say something to you. Part or much of the process of sanctification in your life will happen in context of the church body. Now, you will have your devotional time and you will have your time with God, but much of what God wants to do to make you like Christ will happen in this context. But the push to, to live in a silo, I, I live in an area where pastors will tell you there is a whole segment of the church that come in on Sunday morning. They don't join the church. They don't engage with the church because they don't want to be accountable to or responsible for anybody else. And so their faith becomes just they come into the church and they're in their silo. They enjoy the message maybe, they worship with the music, and they leave and they never get involved in what's going on. But listen, I want you to hear something. When you came to Christ, your right to live in a silo ended because you are now part of the body of Christ. And if you live that way, you will never be what God intends you to be. You'll never experience the fullness of what he wants to do in your process of sanctification. You know, Evan Roberts, who's one of the men I love from the Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts was an introvert by personality. He was a deep man of prayer and, and just loved reading, and he loved studying, and he loved spending time alone with the Lord. And he said he got to a point where he began to feel like his life was getting out of balance because he, he never engaged very often with other people. He just spent time alone. He said one day in prayer, God opened his eyes to this understanding. He said it was though God asked him, Evan, what is the most God-like thing in all creation? And the answer was people because we're made in his image, right? And so as though God said to him, Evan, if you are not engaging and interacting with other believers, there are parts of me you will never know because we are created in his image. And so God's intention is for us to get engaged in the body. Now, you will be sanctified in the process of sitting under teaching, people praying for you, just talking to people about the Lord, sharing your needs. You know, last night I, I went to dinner with John Spencer, David Smith. We just talked about prayer. They talked about their burdens, the Lord. And, and you know what? That was part of the sanctification of my life, just listening to them. So with that in mind, look here in verses 1 and 2 of Galatians chapter 6. Now, remember something. I've said this before, but remember the Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters. And, and so as we begin in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, remember this is coming right on the heels of chapter 5. And chapter 5 is about walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh and, and the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. And, 
And it lists the fruit of the flesh, the sins that we get involved in. But then the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that the Spirit produces in our lives. And so then you pick up here in in verse 1, and he says, Brothers, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want to talk about this command here in just a moment, but I want to real quickly look at three things this tells us about sin, okay? The first thing it tells us is that word there, it says, if anyone is caught in a trespass, The idea behind that word in the Greek is to be surprised by or entangled by. And the first thing you need to understand about sin is that it entangles you. Its desire is to master you, to be in control of you. I remember as a young Christian, I probably heard youth speakers preach this outline about three different times, but but it was simply saying that sin will take you where you don't want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And the nature of sin is that it wants to master you. In the Old Testament, when Cain and Abel, when Cain was having that anger towards his brother, when God didn't receive his offering, but he received his brother Abel's, and God has a conversation with Cain, and he says, don't you know if you do the right thing, you'll be approved. But then God gives him a warning, and he says, understand something, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to master you. What's interesting about that word master there in the Hebrew is a few chapters earlier when we're given the the consequences of the fall, one of the consequences for a woman is it says your desire will be for your husband. And that doesn't mean you'll just desire to hang out with your husband. The word there is the same Hebrew word. Your desire will be to master him, to control him. And so God warned Cain. Listen, sin is there. It's crouching. And it doesn't just want to to have a little piece of your life. It doesn't work that way. It wants to master and control you. And and I tell you, over the years, I've had so many people tell me that that, that were just bound in sin. I never thought I would get to this point. I never thought it would lead me here. So sin will master you. Secondly, sin by its nature is unspiritual. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one. So the implication is a spiritual person is helping to restore one who is acting unspiritually. So by its nature, sin is is unspiritual. It's fleshly. Understand something. Sin is incompatible with the Holy Spirit. You you cannot be walking in the Spirit and be walking in sin. It, it, It just doesn't work that way. And you know what's funny is th- this phrase, you'll, I've, I've had it said to me a couple of times over the years where people will say, well, I know the Bible says that this path is sinful, but that makes me happy and I believe God wants me to be happy. And I've, I've, I've heard, had people actually tell me that. Can I tell you, God is not concerned about you being happy. He's concerned about you being holy. You know, when yesterday when my one-and-a-half-year-old grandson came walking out of our kitchen holding this long fork that you stick into to meat, he wasn't happy when I took it away. But I know how dangerous it is for a little boy. 
So he was upset, but I was more concerned about his well-being. And God is concerned about your well-being. So the very nature of sin is that it's by its nature unspiritual. And then thirdly, sin is abnormal because this is what it says. He says that we are to restore such a one. That word restore is interesting. It's used in the Gospels of the, the disciples mending their nets. And so what it is, it's, it's a putting something back into its right state. So understand something. Sin is being in a, a position, a state that's not right. Being restored is being put right. You know, sometimes we think just because we battle in the Christian life that the normal is to, to be in sin and the abnormal is to be able to walk in the Spirit. But God says the exact opposite. The normal for us should be walking in the Spirit. The abnormal is when things are not right, when we're in sin. And, and so sin, it, it, it puts us in bondage, it masters us, it's fleshly, and, and it, it's not the state, it's not the, the position God wanted us to be in. Now, with that in mind, let's look at this passage and just look at the command that's given. Brethren, brothers, now obviously that's sisters too. He's talking to the church, right? Brothers, even if anyone is caught in a trespass. Now, again, I mentioned it. That, that word caught is a word that means to surprise. To, your version may say it overtaken. So the idea here is not a premeditated sin that someone's committing. In fact, let me tell you something that may surprise you. The Scripture rarely ever contemplates the idea of believers willfully, premeditatingly sinning. In fact, I've been reading through the Old Testament chronologically, and, and I've been in those, you know, Leviticus and those books that you kind of have to work through, but something really struck me as I was reading through there and is talking about sacrifices and offerings is the Bible assumes that when you've done something that makes you unclean, it was not purposeful. And so this is not talking about a person who has just set their will against God and is rebelling. The idea here is a person who in a weak moment of temptation or, or just whatever the situation was, that they were overcome by that temptation. They gave into it. They responded in anger. They lashed out. They gave into the thoughts, whatever it may be. And it says if any man gets entangled in something like that. Now, I remember having a a man in ministry years ago come to me, and uh, he, he confessed an adultery. And we talked that through, and, and I said, brother, and he, he laid it. Now, let me say, to his credit, he was not caught. He came to me, and because of that humility, God, over the years, put his marriage back into order, put his life back into order. He was very humble about the process. But the situation was he'd met a person online. He had developed a relationship online with that person. He had set up a rendezvous, and to meet with that person, he had to drive about three hours to do it. And, and one of the things I told him as we were talking through it, I said, you need to understand something. This is not going to be a quick fix because it took a whole lot of suppression of the Holy Spirit for you to build this relationship and drive three hours to meet this person when at any point you could have turned around and gone home. But that's not the kind of sin this is talking about. This is talking about, again, just, just those moments, and we all have them. Listen, as, as I'm going through this, understand none of us are perfect. We understand that. And we all have moments 
where someone has to speak into our lives. And, and so the, the person, the, the brother, is caught. He, he's entangled in this trespass. Now look what it says. You who are spiritual are to restore. Now notice what it says. You who are spiritual. It doesn't say you who are perfect. And it doesn't say you who are on church staff. And it doesn't say you who have a seminary degree. And it doesn't say you who teach Sunday school. You who are spiritual. God's intention is that there are people in His church that are walking and living in the Spirit. And you know what? That can be you. There's nothing that says your obedience can't be caught up to date. That you can be walking in obedience to God. You who are spiritual. Now, you say, well, how do I know if I'm spiritual? Well, the last chapter, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or, or does that characterize, not, not that it's always there in every, but does that characterize your life as a whole? Ephesians chapter 5, being filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody in our hearts with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that there's praise that overflows out of you. Colossians, the Word of Christ dwelling richly in you. And, and so why does God want spiritual people to do it? Well, for this reason. Because Jesus said that if you look at the speck in your brother's eye, when you have a log in your own eye, he said that's hypocrisy. And now listen to what Jesus said. He said, first remove the log from your eye, then you will see clearly to deal with the speck in the others. You see, people who are spiritual, who are walking in obedience, see clearly the way God intended. People who are walking in hypocrisy don't. Now let me tell you something. There is nothing more obnoxious than a man or woman with a log in their eye pointing out other people's specs. Amen? Amen? And I've been in churches where there was kind of this, quote-unquote, spiritual police of people who, who just wanted to constantly confront people. But the idea here is the person walks with Christ, so there's nothing that, that hinders their understanding. They see clearly. They understand what God's heart is. They understand God's value for that person. They understand the needs of that person. I remember a young lady coming to me on one of the ministry teams I was leading, and one of the guys on the team had written her a letter. By the way, do not confront people with letters, certainly not unsigned letters. But, but even don't confront over email or, or if you can do it in person, I mean, unless it's a rare circumstance, certainly don't do it over text either. You, you, you get with a person, but he had written out this letter, and it was confronting her over an issue. And she brought it to me. She said, I'm not sure what to think of this. And I read through it. Now, here's the problem. This guy was a piece of work. I mean, he was a mess. <laughs> he had baggage. He was insecure. He isolated himself. I mean, he had all kinds of problems. And so I read through the letter, and I just looked at her, and I said, you know, what's your perspective? What do you feel about this? And she said, well, my first instinct is, how dare you? <laughs> Who are you to tell me this? Because his needs were so glaringly obvious. And he had a log in his eye, and, and he, he had an issue with her, but he didn't even see it correctly. And so she and I, because one of the things you learn in life is that even your worst enemies, there's a grain of truth. 
when they criticize you. And we talked through what might be there. But it was, in, it was interesting because instinctively, she didn't want to receive it. There was no relationship there. Proverbs says the wounds of a friend can be trusted. She didn't trust those wounds. So, when we go to others, we are to be spiritual so that we see clearly and we can help. Look at the next step. Why do you need to be spiritual? Because your goal is to restore. Now listen to me. Not to destroy, to restore. I've said this many times. There's a huge difference. In one level, it's small, but it's huge. The difference between wanting to let someone know they are wrong and wanting someone to be right, to help them be right. So the goal of this confrontation, of going to this brother or sister in Christ, is to help them be right, to be right with God. You, you see, that's God's heart behind the whole thing. Now, again, this word, it's interesting. I, I mentioned part, it's used as, as mending nets, but it's also a word that's used for resetting a broken limb. My, my oldest son, in, in a span of about uh, th a little under three years, broke his right arm, and it healed, and then he broke his left arm. And when he broke his right arm, it was a pretty severe fracture. It was almost a compound fracture. So they had to put him under to reset it. When he broke this arm, it was coming up to his wrist, and everything was just out of kilter. His wrist was turned sideways. And, uh, but the doctor reset it in his office. So my son's laying on this table, and they give him a local anesthetic. And the doctor walks in after a few minutes, and he said, does it still hurt? And my son said, yeah, it does. He said, well, let's give it a few more minutes. He walks back in there. And he says, let's set this thing. And my son looks over at me and he mouths to me, Dad, it still hurts. And so he just, he felt around on my son's arm and he just started moving it. Now, my wife left the room immediately. I was a little fascinated, so I stood up and was watching. And my son shrieked a couple of times because of the pain. But after a few moments, now, and it was an amazing thing, just feeling his hand, his wrist. There are a lot of bones there. He just put everything back in its place. And when they x-rayed it, it was perfect. Now listen, when you confront somebody, the goal is to put everything back into place. And, and he, now listen, there was a, a gentleness to what he did because you don't just pull and yank and he, he guided it but it doesn't mean that it wasn't painful. And when we go to a person, our goal is to restore them, and it may be painful, but we do it because we love the person enough to do it. So you see another brother or sister in Christ. By the way, it, it seems like the only sin you can point out today is the sin to dare pass judgment on anything. And so if you, if you go to a person, even if you go in the right spirit, that may, you may get accused of that because that's the only thing you can't do today, it seems like, in the church. But it says, brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Help them be right with God. Listen, that's part of the process of sanctification. Is believers in Christ coming 
and speaking in love to one another. Listen, brother, there's something you don't see there. There's an attitude. My son and I were driving to a university. He's, he's, he's applying for different colleges, and, and he was going to an interview, and he was going through in his head what the questions were going to be, and he'd read online that one of the questions they were going to ask him was, what's one of your weaknesses? And he said, you know, Dad, I, I want to be honest about this. I don't want to do, you know, how people will share weaknesses that actually make them look good. <laughs> and uh, so we were talking about that, and I said, well, son, do you honestly want to know? And uh, he said, yeah, Dad, I do. And so we began to talk, and I just shared with him. I said, you know, one of your strengths is you are a very competitive, driven kid. And I said, that is a tremendous strength. I said, the weakness to that is... When you get in a disagreement with your little younger brother who looks up to you, you have to win. And I said, there are some things that are just not worth winning over. I mean, if it's a life or death, a right or wrong issue, I mean, morally, yes. But, but if he says something that's not quite factually accurate, you don't have to beat him in the ground to win that argument. Because you've got one year left with him. And I want you to spend that year investing in his life. And he sat and he listened and he took that to heart. And I've watched him as he's spending time with his younger brother before he goes off to college to help build him up. You see, that's what God wants us to do. He wants people speaking into our lives. But look how we're to do it. In a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You see, the spiritual person does it gently because they realize they're capable of the very same sins or have been delivered from the very same sins. And so in humility they go, they go out of love, they speak to a brother and sister in Christ, and they're basically saying, listen, it's throwing them a rope, saying, listen, I care about you, I love you, I don't want to see you, I've experienced this in my life, I'm capable of the same thing, but I want to help you be right with God. That's what the spiritual person does. And, and again, it's a command here. You who are spiritual. Now, it's, you won't have to look for it. God will bring it to you, okay? You don't have to go around looking for people to correct. And, and listen, I've seen it done right, and I've seen it done wrong. I've done it right, and I've done it wrong. Uh, years ago, when we were traveling, I was leading one of the teams I was single at the time, and, and this, there was a young lady on the team who, uh, and I'm just going to be honest with you here, okay, about all this. Um, she, she just had an issue with me, and she came to me repeatedly and said, you've done this to me, you've done this to me, and again, there's usually a grain of truth in your criticism, so I'd sit down, I'd seek the Lord, and I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I've offended you, that was not my intent. Well, this went on for, for most of a year, and I, I began to get kind of weary of it. And one day she came to me and she said, I've, I've, I've been angry at you and bitter and this is why you did this and you did this and you did this. And I, I honestly, before the Lord, felt like, Lord, I didn't do any of those things. But when she left that night, I, was, I remember I was laying in bed and I was replaying it in my mind. And the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. And have you ever worked yourself into anger? And, and I just started thinking this through, and the more I thought about it, I said, this is ridiculous. You know what? Tomorrow, I am going to tell her off. <laughs> now, understand something. I hate conflict. Uh, God has a sense of humor putting me in the type of ministry I'm in. 
because I don't like conflict, but I, you know, and I'm, I'm laid back, so you, it takes a lot to work me up. Well, I managed to work myself up. And so I had that young lady come in, and we sat down in an office, and I just let her have it. And I said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm, you're living in a fantasy world. I don't want to live there with you. If you want to live there, fine, but you live your life. I'll live my life. And I just, I mean, I let her, and as I was talking to her, her, fa her face began to clench and her fists began to clench, and she just, I mean, anger was flooding over her, and she looked at me and she said, how dare you say something like that to me? And I have no explanation except for the sinful flesh of this, this grown man. I looked at her, and I went, Arr. <laughs> And she jumped to her feet, and she went, like that, and she ran out of the room. And I went, yes! And the Spirit of God went, no, no, no. Because I had no desire for restoration. I just wanted to get even. I was tired of it, and, and I had to humble myself and go back and seek forgiveness and things like that. See, I've done it the wrong way. But you know what else I remember? I remember being in an airport I don't even remember where it was, but I ran into Bill Aleph. And uh, we began to talk about some situations going on within Life Action Ministries, situations that affected me. And, and I was concerned about him and talking about him. And, and uh, he had the same concerns. He, he was really not on the opposite side of anything for me. But as we talked through the issue, at a certain point, Bill just looked at me and he said, Mark, be careful that you don't get sour. Now, I don't know what he was imagining. He may have been imagining a glass of milk or something like that turning sour. You know what I imagine? I imagine what happens when you take a wet towel and you throw it off into a corner. You know what happens to it. It gets sour and it smells. And pretty soon you don't even know if you even want to wash it anymore to try to clean it. And what I suddenly realized was unknown to me, in my heart, a root of bitterness had begun to sink in. And Bill could sense it. A proverb says, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. In other words, a word that is spoken at the right moment, in the right attitude, in the right way, conveying truth. It's like a golden apple. It, go it tastes good. It goes down smoothly. Its presentation is desirable. And it was a word aptly spoken. And on that flight, my next connection, as I flew home and sitting in that plane seat, I repented. And I said, God, you are in control. And whatever is decided, you, as we just sang before I came up here, you cover me. And you're looking out for me. Now listen. Listen. Some of you, one of the dangers, by the way, of being in a large church is you can be in the silo of anonymity. You can come and go, never engage, never plug in. Nobody knows if you're here. Nobody knows if you're not here. And you never go through the process of sanctification that God wants you to go through. You see, God called us to be a body of Christ. We love, we exhort, we pray, we confront. 
when needed. And the goal is that growing numbers of this body are the spiritual, (laughs) those walking in the Holy Spirit, walking in obedience to God. But listen, that will not happen if you don't engage with the body. If you don't have people who pray for you, who you talk to, who you gather with maybe once a week, if you don't get into a Sunday school class, if you don't engage in the body, you will never be what Christ wants you to be. Because you can't live your faith in a silo. It's lived with other believers. Let me ask you if you would stand for just a moment. If you would bow your heads as we enter into a time of prayer, invitation. You know, I don't know what God may have said to you this morning. It may be that you know you've been living your faith in a silo. You have needs, you have battles, you have failures of sin that that nobody knows about that you need to get honest to somebody about, with somebody. There may be some of you here that you've not engaged with this church body. And you're coming, but you're not a part. Again, let me say, once you were born again, you lost that option. You were to be part of the church body. For some of you, you know there's somebody you need to speak to, somebody you're burdened about, that you've been afraid to talk to, and you need to go to them in love and just confront We're going to take just a moment, whatever God has said to you, the altar is open down here if you need to come and pray. There are men down here if you need to come and engage and be a part of this church body, maybe join Sherwood. Whatever God has said to you, I just want to take a few moments, everybody with your heads bowed and praying, to obey God. The first step to being spiritual is obeying God, right? So he may be speaking to you right now, you need to obey him. You take just a few moments, whatever God says to you, you obey.